just to remind you, eschatology is the study of the end times, the last things. It covers things like death and resurrection, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ, the final judgments, and the eternal condition of the righteous and the unrighteous. And uh, before we took a break for Thanksgiving, we had uh, talked about what happens when we die, and we had talked about what some of the things that will be happening when Jesus comes. And uh, tonight, we're going to continue in that theme by talking specifically about those events which are directly associated with the return of Jesus Christ. These are things that uh, cannot happen or will not happen until Jesus returns to this world, as he promised that he would do. And uh, when he does, these are the things that he will be coming to accomplish and perform. The last time we talked, we talked about some of the signs uh, and the time of the coming of Christ, things that might be happening in the church, things that might be happening in the world. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about what will actually happen when Jesus appears. So we're going to begin in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. If you have your Bible there, I'm going to read a short passage here. From John chapter 5, beginning at verse 24. John, Gospel of John 5, verse 24. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Most assuredly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So, what will happen when Jesus comes? Well, the first thing we're going to talk about is the resurrection of the dead, particularly the resurrection of the righteous dead. And you'll understand the distinction we make on that in a few moments. But Revelation 19 tells us that when Jesus comes back to this world, he will, among all the other things that he will do, he will bring forth... Uh, the dead, the righteous dead, from their graves. Exodus Revelation chapter 20, 
verses 4 through 6, which says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and not received his mark on his foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So when Christ comes, he will resurrect the souls of those who have died. What about those of us who are alive? Well, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The resurrection of the righteous is one of the events for which Jesus Christ is returning to this world to accomplish. When you think about all the generations of Christians, to go back to these first Christians, imagine the Apostle Paul as he's writing these words, thinking about his own generation, those who had already died. Remember, it wasn't very long after Jesus had been uh, resurrected and ascended to heaven that the first Christian martyrs had died. Stephen had been killed. Uh, James uh, had been killed. And many others had died either natural deaths or had been persecuted and died from persecution. And so the question of what would happen to those dead or to those who had died and had not been alive long enough to seek Christ's return was a, was a big concern. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, some had already begun to believe that the resurrection was past or, or that the resurrection was over, that there was not going to be a resurrection. And so if you read chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, you can uh, see there that Paul makes an emphatic case that uh, if uh, Christ is resurrected, then all who are in Christ will be resurrected. Christ is risen from the dead, and by that man uh, came resurrection from the dead. All who died in Adam will be made alive in Christ Jesus. So, if you go back to that first generation and then you begin counting all of the years that have come and gone, uh, millions, I think it's fair to say probably billions of believers have died, have gone on 
to the intermediate state where they have enjoyed the bliss and the peace and the rest that they uh, certainly was uh, promised to them and was due to them. But that is not the final condition. Uh, if all we were going to be when we, after we died, if eternal life was nothing more than just being disembodied spirits uh, living in the spiritual realm with, uh, you know, the old uh, picture of uh, the guy sitting on the cloud playing the harp. You know, if that was all that was uh, due for us, I mean, that'd be fine if that's what if that's what it was. But if that was all that was going to happen, there really wouldn't have needed to have been a resurrection of Jesus Christ. The point of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection, was so that we could uh, also be bodily resurrected and continue to live on earth, continue to live on a, on a new earth, a, a newly renovated, new creation earth, uh, and, and continue on with the lives that you know, we were meant to live from the moment that we were made, you know, God took the dust and breathed into it and made it a living soul. So I, I don't think it's I don't think it's unreasonable to say that the resurrection of the dead is probably the maybe the most important of the eschatological doctrines, maybe second only to Christ's own return. If there be no if there is no resurrection from the dead, Paul said, then we don't have any hope. You know, so this doctrine and its teaching have been the cornerstone of the Christian faith from day one, from the, the very first sermons in the book of Acts, the first sermons of Paul, of Peter, all focused on this living hope, this hope that even though we might, may die, we will live and we will live again through Christ Jesus, who gained victory over death by being resurrected. Uh, you want to get me up and clap and sing when we all get to heaven. You know, that's, that's right on my list of uh, all-timers. And uh, this has been the hope of the, every, every Christian, every believer has, has died in the faith, died with the faith that they would live again. And, you know, I think we get confused sometimes and say, well, you know, they're better off now. Well, yes, in, in a sense they are because they're with the Lord, and it's certainly better to be with the Lord than, than, than anything. But they're better off in the sense that, you know, they're no longer experiencing the physical sufferings of this body. But that's not a condition that... And I just speak for myself. Like I said, if this is what God had planned from the beginning, that we'd be created as spirits, we'd go live a little 50, 60, 70 years in a physical body, and then we'd just go back to being spirits for all eternity. Okay, that that, that would be, if that's what he had planned to do, that would be okay. I, I would I would certainly uh, trust God that he's doing what, what is best. But outside of that, you know, I don't have a whole lot of, interest or excitement about a purely spiritual existence. I, I don't see the advantage there. Uh, I like being embodied. I like being able to see and taste and touch and feel and 
you know, I, 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 I just think that we get confused sometimes and think, well, this, this body is just some sort of prison or some sort of, of, and Paul does call it in second Corinthians, he calls it a tent, a tabernacle, temporary dwelling. But uh, my understanding of the scriptures is that we were created to be both spiritual and physical beings that in humanity, um, the physical and the spiritual are are knitted together in such a way that it's uh, that it takes both to make us complete. And so I think the promise of a new body, a glorious body, a wonderful body. Uh, John writes in First John that when we see him, we shall be made like him. So. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, it will, what's sown in corruption will be raised in incorruption. What's sown in mortality will be raised in immortality. This new body will be a glorious body. Uh, it'll be a body that, uh, you know, never gets sick, never gets tired. Uh, you know, it won't be a body that, that decays over time or becomes corrupt over time. Uh, I, I'm I'm with you, sister. I'm really, really looking forward to it. All right. Well, what about those of us who don't die, who are alive and remain? So Paul assures us in First Thessalonians 4 that we are not uh, left behind. <laughs> we will be caught away, caught up. Uh, you hear the term rapture used because that's a... Uh, a word that means to be caught away or caught up in something. And this idea of the rapture is very biblical. I know some people have some struggles with it, but basically what it means is that we do not necessarily have to die to experience the transformation of our bodies so that while the, the dead body, the body that has decayed, the body that's returned to dust, will be refashioned together, recreated together, the body that we have now, if we're alive when Jesus comes, will simply be transformed. It will be made like the body of Jesus Christ is today, something that we could point to. The only things we could really point to as an example would be the case of Enoch in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 5 and the case of Elijah. Uh, both Enoch and Elijah experienced that, uh, that event, that rapture event, where they were caught up into heaven, into eternity, and transformed without passing through death. And I know I suspect that for most of us, if not all of us on this call tonight, uh, that's what we're really hoping for. We're really hoping that uh, Jesus comes before we die, and so that we won't have to go through the pains and sorrows of death. And, and certainly that could be the case. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know uh, when his appearing will be. So each generation of believers has has held out the same hope that we hold out tonight. And that is 
that Jesus will come during our earthly lifetimes and that we will be transformed and caught up and made a, a, a renewed body uh, at the time of the rapture. Do I have any uh, comments or questions on the rapture? Yes, Pastor. Um, I'm just wondering if um, those who are who have um, remained and um, are caught up, if during that caught up, you if you could classify the, uh, that as um, some form of death, since the body will be transformed. Uh, I don't know that I would use the word death or die for that because we're told specifically that Enoch did not die. So if it is a, a comparable experience, if, if you go back to the case of Enoch uh, and even the case of Elijah, mm-hmm. uh, they, 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 you know, there's no scripture that describes their experience as a death. Now, I guess we're kind of mincing. I guess we're kind of just being semantical here, because you know all of the earthly weaknesses and all of the earthly uh, decaying processes will will be transformed. So, uh, but you know, I, I try wherever possible. I try to be faithful to the language that the scriptures use. And the scriptures do not use the term death for this experience, so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in there. But you know what what we what will we experience? I don't know. <laughs> that's that's a great question. What will it feel like? You know what you know. The Bible says in a moment, and the twinkling of an eye. I mean, to me that kind of sounds like it'll be over before we even really know what's happened. You know, it'll just be. Uh, you know, like our our mind, our our consciousness will uh, will uh, you know not be even aware something's happening until it's already happened. But um, I don't know if that makes sense. I just I'm just trying to be consistent. You know, if the Bible said Enoch had died, I would I would use that phrase, but uh, but it doesn't. So uh, I, I won't. Uh, does that make any sense at all, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, um, if there's no more questions on the resurrection or rapture of the righteous, we can talk about the judgments for the righteous, the rewards of those who are resurrected and raptured first. Now, I know in talking about the resurrection, there's you said, well, what about those unrighteous? What about the lost? We'll, we'll deal with them later when we get to to the uh, no, no, after the millennium and all of that. But uh, as we're resurrected, as as we're raptured, according to Second Corinthians chapter five, we are taken, and also Romans chapter fourteen, we are taken to something called the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians five uh, says, uh, verse seven: For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things 
done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul uses the term caught up to meet the Lord in the air to describe the rapture. Other verses talk about uh, being taken to the judgment seat of Christ. We're not told, you know, specifically <laughs> where this this will happen. Uh, I think it's safe to say it will happen in the heavenly realm. And this is what causes some uh, to believe that there will be a delay. In other words, that the, the righteous will be taken up and uh, be taken to the judgment seat. And while the righteous are being judged, and the other things will be happening on the earth, tribulations and such as that. Now, we're not going to get into that, but just for the timing aspect of this, it seems to be immediate upon the resurrection of the rapture. In other words, a resurrection, we're raptured, and we're taken immediately to the judgment of Christ. And there... We are, uh, as far as the scriptures indicate, this is not a place where our, our eternal destiny is decided. If the Bible says, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. So if we are resurrected or raptured first when Jesus comes, uh, that event, the resurrection itself, is a testimony that we are saved, uh, that we have received eternal life. Uh, at that point, I can think of nothing that would prevent us from being part of the eternal kingdom of Christ. Uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So, you know, whatever condition you die in, that is your condition for all of eternity. So, by being resurrected first, by being raptured, we are assured of our salvation. However, the Bible also says that there will be varying degrees of rewards or judgments applied to the followers of Christ. Some will receive much, some will receive comparatively few. Uh, this appears to have something to do with the new creation or perhaps the millennial reign uh, in one place, in Matthew chapter 25, it talks about one being given five cities, one being given ten cities. So there's varying degrees of reward. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people talk about crowns, crowns of life, crowns of righteousness, starry crowns, um, righteous robes. Revelation gives some beautiful descriptions of different things that are given to those who over, and particularly in chapters 2 and 3. We won't go through every reward uh, tonight unless you, you have a specific question. Uh, but just to take note of the fact that in addition to receiving eternal life through Christ Jesus, there are also many other rewards that we are eligible to receive based on our service here for the Lord. And Passions, you know, there's, there's different passages that talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Romans chapter 14. All of these passages talk about the main thing being not so much what we do for the Lord, although that's important, but the motives for why we do it. Uh, even Jesus talked about some 
getting their reward on earth because they sought an earthly reward. And so when you think about the service that we render, whether it's a ministry that we're engaged in, if we're preaching or teaching or leading worship or, or you know, you know, cleaning the church or mowing the grass or fixing the, uh, you know, whatever, whatever service we're rendering. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 ends with that beautiful exhortation. One of my, those days where I'm kind of thinking I might have made to be a pastor or to be a, a teacher. Uh, I remember First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, which says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So nothing that is done for Jesus Christ is uh, useless or worthless or in vain. God takes note. Books are kept. Books will be opened. I I don't know if that's a metaphor or if there's actually an angel following each one of us around, writing down everything we do. I, I, I don't know how that's going to work, but each one of us will have a book of our own life. And, and I want to be clear here. We're not talking about sins that were committed before we came to Christ, sins that have been forgiven, those Sins have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. They are; they will never be brought up again. But as we serve the Lord, as we've lived our Christian life, Paul says in another place, he says, all things might be lawful, but not all things are useful or helpful. So, um, you know, if you think about it, if you just think about your day, how much of your day, how many hours of your day are taken up doing things that are necessary to do, but will perish with the body, will perish with the world, will perish with this life. And then how much of your day are you spending investing in your treasure in heaven? And the rewards, you know, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, the, uh, the, to lay up your treasure in heaven. And you know, I know I'm at that age where I'm already thinking about retirement. I'm already thinking about <laughs> I should have invested a lot better when I was younger. Um, but you know, when we when we're going through this life, we need to be conscious of the fact that much of what we do has some eternal value or consequence to it, and uh, certainly, you know. Our motives, our love, our motive, you know, the, the two motives that God approves of, whatsoever's done in faith, whatsoever's done in love. So if it's not of faith, if it's not of love, it probably isn't going to be worth a reward. But everything we do in faith, everything we do out of love for God, love for God's people, love for Jesus, love for the church, love for the lost, uh, will be noted. And when I think sometimes... And I've never been one to seek much in the way of earthly glory or, or notice or fame, but it's always been my desire, you know, and maybe there's a little, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it's always been my desire when given the choice, if I could get something for what I do now 
Or if I can get something for it then, you know, if it'll be worth something then. Uh, I've always tried to choose as much as, as I can to choose the eternal glory and the eternal reward over the temporal one. After the rewards judgment of the church, Christ physically returns to this world. And the first thing he does when he returns to this world is defeat the beast and the beast kingdom and put down the rebellion of all these kingdoms that have aligned with the beast. Remember we talked last time we had a study, we talked about the rise of the kingdom of the beast. In Revelation 19, it says, verse 11 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat in him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So when you think about how bad a condition this world will be in, you would think the world would welcome Christ. Instead of welcoming Christ back with open arms, the kings of the earth, the beast and his kingdom, and all these who have gathered together at the place called Armageddon to make war with one another, suddenly will turn all of their military might against the Lord as he returns. Of course, we all understand that this will be for nothing. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, The Lord will destroy them with the brightness of his coming. So as much as we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, for those who do not want Christ for their king, to those who want their own kingdom, their own way, their own power, 
The coming of Christ is their greatest threat. And uh, they may pretend to think that they don't believe or don't um, don't uh, you know don't see Christ uh, as a, a literal return, but make no mistake, they are convinced that even if he does show up, they'll be able to defeat him and keep the world for themselves. Of course, we know this we know this is nonsense. There's not going to be so much a war in the sense of these long, drawn-out campaigns and battles that go on for months on end. This will all be over very, very quickly as the coming of the Lord will destroy utterly and completely all those who've gathered to, uh, uh, to make war against the Lamb and against His kingdom. And the beast himself and the false prophet will be captured and thrown into the lake of fire. So sometimes it, it's painful. I, I, I struggle with this at times, and maybe some of you too do as well. I'd, I'd like to believe that those whom I care about, whom I love, if things happen the way that I, I think they will happen, I hope and pray that if they're not ready for the rapture, they're not ready for the resurrection, return of the Lord, that when they see those of us who've been raptured gone, my prayer is they will turn to the Lord. And I'm holding on to that prayer, and I'm believing that, and I'm, I'm, I'm holding out in faith that that will be the case. But the simple truth of the matter is, is that many, many people in this world, even under the threat of death, even under the threat of hell, of an eternal place in the lake of fire, simply do not want to honor or respect or worship or acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord. And... Uh, it baffles me. I don't understand it. But as much as we love his appearing and long for his appearing, there are millions who dread it, who hate the thought of it, and who will do everything they can to keep it from taking place. And these are the ones who will be destroyed when Christ returns. Christ returns. The dead in Christ are resurrected. The living saints are raptured. These saints who are resurrection and raptured enjoy or go to the place of judgment, and there they receive their rewards. Then they return with Christ in the air to destroy and defeat the kingdom of the beast and all those who align with him. And then the next thing that will happen, according to Revelation, is the binding of Satan himself. So... Remember earlier in Revelation, chapter 12, described that war in heaven, Michael and his angels versus the devil and his angels, and how they lost, they were defeated, they were cast out of heaven, they were cast down to the earth. Satan's been roaming to and fro, seeking whom he devour. He's been behind the spirit of the Antichrist, behind this kingdom of the beast. He is the the, the, the great dragon who's been working against the kingdom of God from the very beginning. And 
Even the Antichrist himself, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, comes according to the working of Satan with the powers and signs and lying wonders that Satan provides. If you look at all of the damage, starting with the Garden of Eden, going through every generation of humanity, the Bible calls him the enemy. The Bible calls him the wicked one. The Bible calls him Satan, the adversary, devil, the accuser. This particular creature, and I believe there is a particular creature. There are many, many, many demons, but there is one devil, one creature above them all, who has caused the most amount of suffering and, uh, and sorrow and pain in this world. And... It's impossible for us to even conceive of a peaceful kingdom, of a righteous kingdom, of a, of, a, of a just kingdom, as long as he's in the world. As long as he's in the world, he will be uh, the fly in the ointment. <laughs> he will be the one that, that causes the disruption. So the good news is that when Christ returns, he will send one of his angels down from heaven with a key to a bottomless pit and a great chain. And he will take the devil, that dragon, that serpent of old, the one who is called Satan, and will bind him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he will deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. So maybe the best news I can give those who are alive on earth who are not when Christ returns is that the tempter will be gone. That Satan, and you have to imagine if Satan's bound, then all of his demons, all of those who serve Satan will be similarly uh, bound. There will be, you know, the old song says there will be no tempter then. If you think of this world, how different it might be, how different maybe it would be. If there was no Satan running around in it, we're going to get a chance to see it and experience it when Jesus returns. We think of Satan as such this, this mighty, mighty creature that yes. Jesus himself is the only one who can tame him yet. And it's important to understand that this angel who's coming to bind him is acting with the authority of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't... Yeah. Yeah. You know, the lesson we, you know, the lesson that was taught, uh, I think it's Jude that mentions even Michael did not rebuke Satan, but rather said, "The Lord rebuke you." Any one of us, by ourselves, including an angel, even an angel like Michael, is no match for Satan one on one on our own. But empowered by Christ, authorized by Christ, any one of us has the authority to overcome him. And so I know that many times we talk about rebuking the devil and binding the devil. And I don't, I'm not saying it's wrong, right or wrong. Um, but the truth is, uh, only acting with the authority of Christ can we really overcome Satan. He has... He's been given this. I, I know it, it puzzles me. I'm not sure. God will, I'm sure, give us good reasons for everything he's done. 
uh, or he won't. He'll just tell us the way it, that's the way it had to be. Satan's been given some some room to do his work, and maybe God's using him to test the hearts of men. Maybe you know, I don't know. I don't know all the reasons why Satan has been allowed to run uh, loose in this world for so long, but I do know uh, that he's going to soon be taken. And uh, with him out of the way, there really will be no reason why nations can't live at peace and do justly and, and all the things that we're supposed to do. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.